Well, today I have another one of those difficult texts at the end. I'm going to work around to it so that we can kind of see what's going on. But I want to make sure that we get there. Last week, I, uh, I talked about the, how the whole Old Testament works together to, to help us understand who's, who's God and how his word works within our lives. And then, and then uh, so this week I want to do one more thing just to help you with, with how you understand the Bible a little bit. So if you've ever read one of those verses and you go, huh? Have you ever done that? You go, what? What is going on here? Just want you to know that there's three things. This was told to me long before seminary that can help you with, with a section of scripture. And that is this. There's always three themes at least one of them is being handled by every little bit of text somewhere. Sometimes more than one, but, but at least one is in there, and so you can start to look for it. The first one of those themes is the lordship of God, that God is Lord. Somewhere in that, some, the Bible is always interested, and it shouldn't, shouldn't surprise you that the Bible is interested in letting you know that, Lord, that God is in charge of the universe even if he's not being acknowledged as being in charge, he is. We say that in a prayer today on earth as it is in heaven. You know what that means? We want his lordship on earth to be like it is in heaven. That's, that's us acknowledging that. Now, you might also understand that in the Old Testament that the word Lord or God there is, is four letters in the Hebrew alphabet, they call it the tetragrammaton. That's your $5 word for the day. Are you ready for that? Tetragrammaton. It's Y-H-W-H. And in... in and I, I, I thought somebody was going to me, so... <laughs> There's a secret here. The secret to the tetragrammaton is, is that they quit pronouncing it in the, old, in the early days of the Hebrew scriptures, long before Jesus came on the scene, they quit pronouncing it. And they would write, a little, they would write um, the vowels for, for um, Adonai underneath it to remind them that when they read it out loud, the word for God, tetragrammaton, the YHWH, was so holy, they didn't want to say it. And so the, they put the vowels for Adonai underneath it. So when they got to it, they would say Adonai instead because that was too holy. I want you to know that there's modern um, thought on that along with some old rabbinical thought that say that YHWH, as you breathe in and out, there are the breathing marks in Hebrew that as you breathe, that that's, those are the sounds of the Ys and the Hs and the Ws that we as we breathe, we, we, we pronounce God's name a proper way without even doing it. That, that even if you wanted to, you couldn't not acknowledge God is the thought behind that. Have you ever thought about that? Even if you, as you breathe, you just pronounce his name and your dependence upon him. So that's one of the themes in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, that God is Lord. The second theme that's going on that's almost always handled or is handled somewhere in the scripture is the election or the creation of God's people. How are God's people formed is the, is the fancy way of saying the election. You're elected or God picked you, you're his people. But how are God's people formed? That's a second theme and we'll deal with that today. 
And then the third theme is a hope for God's people's future, a hope and a future. So inheritance language, when you inherit, when you come to God and he makes you his people, he starts to pour his spirit into you. And if you ever read this verse in the Bible and said, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. That hope that lies within you is based out of his spirit, which is in you, which is creating you anew and giving you a new future different from the one you earned, but one that was better. In other words, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion. That is a hope and a future for God's people. Do you see what I'm saying? That that theme is kind of always there. So as we get there, I want you to start looking at this, but... Let's go to the final sermon on Elijah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break from Elijah. I heard from somebody today that they were very happy that I was done with the Old Testament. I hate to tell you this, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not done with it. I will be going to doing some Psalms for a while as I prepare to start one of the Gospels in July. And so we'll spend some time in Psalms for a while. Here it is, 2 Kings 2. Elijah taken into heaven. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. Bethel, you, sh- you should know this Bethel, Bet El, Bet is house of El God house of God, they have a rich tradition at Bethel that they're the place that Jacob wrestled God. But they also, at one point in time, were the house where the tabernacle rested, and so they have this rich tradition at Bethel of being a place where God is powerful. I'm going to Bethel. You, you stay here, I'm going there. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went together down to Bethel. The group of the prophets at Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. You know, don't, we don't need to talk about that. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. Jericho is just about as opposite from Bethel in in spiritual heritage as you could get. Jericho is the place that was first conquered when Jacob brought the people into the land, but also when it was destroyed, a curse was pronounced upon it that literally if you ever, whoever rebuilds this will, it will cost him his kids to do it. Don't do that, says God. Don't do that. And, but they did in Elijah, it is in the earlier story, they rebuilt Jericho and they talked about that his kids were killed because of that. But, but you have Jericho, which is just the exact opposite of Bethel in spiritual heritage. Have you, have you ever thought what your spiritual heritage is? Is it Bethel or is it Jericho? I just want you to think about that a little bit as we go forward from here because I want you to know that, that while it matters to us, it often doesn't matter to God in the same way. You stay here 
for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied again, as surely as the Lord lives and you live yourself, I will never leave you. So he went on together to Jericho. As it's going to start repeating, you'll start hearing this. Then the group of the prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, did you know the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. But Elisha replied, do you know what Elisha replied? As surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. 50 men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance. As Elisha and Elijah stopped beside the river, then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it and the river divided and the two of them went across on dry land. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. And Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double portion of your spirit and become your successor. A double portion should let you know that this is inheritance language. They're just talking about this, that if in the old world, if you had two sons and you died, you divided your land into thirds and gave a double portion to the oldest son and a single portion to the youngest son. He's saying, you're my father. I want to be your son. Have you ever had anybody or ever seen anybody in your life say, I want to be like that person. And then they start to live that way and they model their life after. That's what's going on. But as we are starting to talk about a spiritual heritage, I want you to start to ask your God, can I have a double portion? Can I have your spirit in me strongly? Let me inherit, as we start to talk about this, a hope and a future for myself and my people. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. Now, let, let me say for a second that if you're Elijah and you've lived this life and you spent your whole life sort of disappearing and showing up in difficult places and being at battle with the king of Israel and having your life threatened and you have somebody say, I want to be just like you, you might say, you ask a difficult thing. Or, or you might say under your breath, Lord, please don't make anybody else go through that. Have you ever been in a spot where you've gone through something and you just hope nobody else ever would have to go through that? That's kind of what Elijah's, Elisha is asking. He's saying, I want to be just like you. And Elisha's going, you don't know what that costs. But if he says, you have asked a difficult thing. If you see me when I'm taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. And as they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them. And Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, my father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. 
Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. And then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, where the Lord, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And the river divided and he went across. When the prophets of Jericho saw from a distance what had happened, they exclaimed, Elijah's spirit rests on Elijah. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Sir, they said, just say the word and 50 of our strongest men will search the wilderness for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has left him on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha said, don't send them. But they kept urging him until they shamed him into agreeing and finally said to them, all right, send them. So 50 men searched for three days, but did not find Elijah. Elisha was still at Jericho when they returned and said, didn't I tell you not to go? He did tell them not to go. But here's the story. Now, now some of you will know that I've been talking about this throughout the Elijah storyline, that there are echoes throughout all scripture. And when you start hearing something, it starts repeating, you should start to hear echoes. One of the echoes is, is that Elisha says over and over, as surely as the Lord lives, I will never leave you. I'll never depart from you. So when you read your New Testament and you turn to this spot where Jesus has Peter by the, by the Sea of Galilee and he says, do you love me? You should hear the echo of that when he says, you know that I love you. I am your person. I am God's person just like you. I want the spiritual inheritance that you have. I want to be like you. I want to be God's person on earth. Now there's another echo going on here that I want you to hear. And that is, it comes with the change of generations. There's a change of generations going on here between Elijah's generation and Elisha's generation. Have you ever seen a change of generations in the Bible happen right near the Jordan with the parting of waters? Perhaps anybody? Uh, Moses, Joshua, sort of thing going on. Well, you might not know this, but Joshua or Moses spends the last five chapters of Deuteronomy sort of reviewing the territory of everywhere they go and charging Joshua to be strong and to stay with the Lord and and this is where you've gone. And, and, then, and then Moses is taken away and the Lord buries him and they cannot find him. So you're supposed to hear the echo of a change of generation, of the, of the story continuing from one to the other. And so Elijah takes Elisha on a tour of Israel and says, this is here, this is now. And he goes, you should stay here. No, I want to be with you. No, okay. And so they go to another place. So they're reviewing the territory just as Moses did. But everywhere along the line, be strong and courageous. Be, be with the Lord. As surely as the Lord lives, I will never leave you. Is a way of saying, I am going to be strong and courageous. Is it not? And then he parts the water. You've never seen anybody part the water before, have you? It was the sign that Joshua was the true successor to Moses is when the, they came and the river parted. And they said, we are still, the Lord is still with us, even though our leader has changed. 
And so this is going on in Elisha. A double portion. He is the Lord's. Don't go searching for the old ways. You can't redo them. I know that we have, we have a sign in a, on, a, on, a, on a billboard near us and it says 5,000 year leap classes nearby. Has anybody seen that sign? I know, yeah, do you know what that is? Okay, so Glenn Beck, a popular speaker, read this book in the 70s. It's called The 5,000 Year Leap. And it says that because we, we lived our lives a certain way, we made the progress in this generation or in this country that it took them 5,000 years to do. And so we need to return to that portion of our life. And we do need to return to God, but we can't go backwards. You know, I... You might hear this sentiment in people. We need to get back to the founding father's belief systems. Yes, I would agree. We need to follow the Lord the way the founding fathers tried to follow the Lord. But we can't do that in 1776, can we? Do you have a time machine? Can you go backwards in time and live in 1776? They followed God in their time. And we have to follow God in our time. I also want to make sure that, that you don't hear us doing something 2020 in hindsight and saying, well, you know, if I'd been in Israel when they crucified Jesus, I wouldn't have done that. Really? I just want you to make sure that you know that, that we, we are a people that like to look back and say, I'm better than them or I would have been different than them. But Jesus had to die alone on the cross so that he could have many inheritors afterwards. Nobody went up there and was killed with him to help. Isaiah 53 says he was alone. And if you read the book of Isaiah, see, I'm never going to be done with the Old Testament. I just... Just hold on. I'm never going to be done with the Old Testament. The New Testament is never done with the Old Testament. And so we don't get permission. But, but the book of Isaiah is really, it's the study of the court case of God's people as they're whittled down by court cases. Charges come against them until the one that can, that can fulfill God's promise is left alone and does it. And then afterwards, it spreads back out again when he sees that all that is accomplished by his anguish and he's pleased with it. He has many children, many descendants because of that. Did somebody turn to Isaiah 53 for me? Isaiah 53, 11 is that spot that says that. You don't have to, it's okay. When he sees that all that is accomplished by his anguish, he is pleased have you seen in your own life that God is pleased with you? You're what was part of, part of what was accomplished with his anguish. He's not sitting there going, I just wish it did a little bit more in their life. He's pleased with you. He knows you. But we're talking about this spiritual heritage now that God's spirit is upon you and that it got there because Jesus made a sacrifice and he lives to redeem you. And it doesn't matter where you come from. And so let me read the difficult part of our text today. This is the next piece. 
One, of the, on one day, the leaders of the town of Jericho visited Elisha and said, we have a problem, my Lord. Remember, Jericho is the place of the bad spiritual tradition. This town is located in pleasant surroundings, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Elisha said, bring me a new bowl with salt in it. And so they brought it to him and they went out to the spring that supplied the town with water and they threw the salt in it as he said, this is what the Lord says. I have purified this water. It is no longer cause for death or infertility. And the water has remained pure ever since, just as Elisha said. Elisha left Jericho and went up to Bethel, remember, the strong spiritual heritage. And as he's walking along the road, a group of boys from the town began mocking and making fun of him. Go away, Baldy. Or in the Hebrew, he literally says, go on up. Or why weren't you taken in the whirlwind too? Go away, go away. And they chanted it. Elisha turned around and looked at them and he cursed them in the name of the Lord and two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of them. From there, Elisha went to Mount Carmel. Okay, I I want you to know I didn't hide. That's a difficult text. Why does the bear maul them? I don't know. I do know two things are going on here. That, That the place where the spiritual heritage is bad, and I want to say this to you as we go into this, I don't know what your parents are like and I don't know what your grandparents are like and I don't know any, any of that. I do know that regardless of your spiritual heritage, that if you will do this one little thing, you will come to God and say, we've got a problem, we need you. You are now part of God's people. Jericho in all its bad history comes and they seek out God's person and said, we've got a problem. Now, I don't think that you need a new bowl full of salt and that you need to throw it in the well. What happens isn't important except that they come and they say, we need help. And God is there. And so the second rule or the second theme that's in throughout the whole Bible is this, that the election or the formation of God's people is always at the root of what's going on or, or is nearby in scriptures. And so how are God's people formed? They come to him and they say, help. And he helps. Now, the other thing is, is that I would say to you that the way that the people that aren't God's people is formed is by saying, go away, baldy. Or whatever you want to say. Go away. We don't want you here. We don't want what your spiritual heritage is, how strong your parents were in the Lord, how great your grandparents are. It doesn't matter if you were born in in America and therefore you're Christian, right? Because this is a Christian nation. America doesn't, being born here doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is that you recognize the need that you have for a savior. That you need help. 
And a church is a gathering of a place where people that need help come together and recognize that they need help, both help each other and strengthen each other to remember that God is their help. You can say to them, there's hypocrites everywhere. And the, and the percentage, the per capita percentage of, of hypocrites in church is not greater than the per capita percentage of hypocrites in the world because none of us do everything we say we're going to do or, or keep our word. And so the whole world is full of hypocrites. You know what hypocrites need? A savior. They need a Lord that will help them. A Lord that is never far from them, no matter the humble beginnings. This is Psalm 40, verse 2. Though I'm hip deep in the muck and the mire, he lifts me out and sets me on the solid rock. I need help. I'm stuck. And he picks me up and he takes me out. Now, the world sort of says that if you go into the muck and the mire to get people out, you're going to get muck and mire on you. And then you'll be dirty and you'll need help. But that is not the picture of Jesus in the scriptures, is it? That there's a woman who comes to him and, she, and the whole t- town side has put her out of the society and said, you've got this flow and because you've got this bleeding, you're not clean. And so you can't be amongst us. And she starts to say, there's the Jesus and he helps people. If I just touch the, the edge of his robe, I'll be clean. But the Jews believed that if she touched you, you were unclean. I disagree. Because the example has now been set that if, if they come and they seek Jesus, then they are made clean. Jesus isn't sullied by that. When you're Jesus' person, you're not sullied by hearing something that that comes from a different religion, what you are is, is, is an understanding person that hears the word of the God that now says, this person hears this stuff over here. Now I understand more about them. But we've misunderstood, understood, understanded. I submit myself for, for apology to you for my English prowess or lack thereof. We have misunderstood as a church what it is to be a Christian. We think being a Christian means we go around and we point out everybody else's problems. Right? That, that's what it means to be judge and jury. Not Christian. What a Christian's job is this. To live a life so full of God that the light of that life just flows out of you nearby people and then those people see it and go, I want that whatever that is, and then they can come up to you and say, hey, you're different. Why? And you can say, because I know this God who has changed my life. Would you like to meet him? That's the job of Christians. You're the slight of the world. It's not your job to go around and point out everybody's ills and, and bad deeds. They know what they are. All you have to do is be clean nearby and it'll point that out to them. But here's the thing. Whether you're from Jericho or Bethel, the response is the important thing. When the people of God, when God's person comes by, when Jesus comes by, when he's near to you, 
will you then say, help or go away? And so I brought up this idea of Moses and Elijah. And I want, to hear, I want you to hear from Deuteronomy 30, this choice that they bring up. This is the choice. It's always the choice between the people of earth and how you choose depends on whether you're part of God's people or not. So this is Moses speaking. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. This is not a God saying, please choose death. I want to wipe you out. That's not what's going on here. He said, look, you can choose my way. Please do that and live. But if you don't, these are the consequences. That your life, that your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and the length of your days that you may dwell in the land of the Lord that was sworn by him to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. I have set before you a choice. You have a choice today. You have a choice to say that I want life. Help. If you're a drowning person, you have a choice if there's somebody on the thing going, help. Or to say, I'm going down. I'm sorry, it's a bummer. Don't do it. I've set before you a choice, life and death. Now choose life. This is what it means to have that second theme at play within the scripture is how are God's people formed? It's not we don't select people. They select him and he chooses back to be at work in their lives. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you that you are wooing us or begging us not to choose the wrong way, that we might be your people and that being your people, you can pour your spirit into us and we can have a hope and a future because you are Lord of all. And now, Lord, be Lord in our lives that we might be your people. Amen.